Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we are meeting another of the inspirational thought leaders and innovators that UBS supports and celebrates through its Global Visionaries programme. Last month in Zurich, a number of impact-first visionaries, also UBS Optimist Foundation grantees, took part in the UBS Pitch for Purpose event, with the winning visionary securing an additional grant to contribute towards their work. The winner of the event was Kate Dooley of Education Partnerships, a group committed to working with governments in low- and middle-income countries to facilitate reform and to improve decision-making through research, policy implementation and advice. Following her success, Kate has headed into Monocle's HQ in Zurich to explain more about the day and to fill us in on the background to Education Partnerships' work. Joining her in the Monocle Radio studios in Zurich and a most welcome returning guest on this programme is Tom Hall, Global Head of Social Impact and Philanthropy at UBS. Tom and Kate Dooley, a very warm welcome to you both. Kate, let me start with you. Remind us, first of all, why are you here in Zurich? Tell us about the event first up. I'm uh, in Zurich for the Pitch for Purpose event, which has been generously set up by UBS and um, supporting a, a range of social entrepreneurs and non-profits uh, working globally on some of the world's biggest challenges. And so we had a pitch competition this week in Zurich. Six of us came to town from all over the world to pitch our, our ideas uh, and our organisations. And there was a generous prize from the UBS Optimus Foundation. And I was lucky enough to be the winner. Well, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit more about what you do, because so many of the big challenges of the day, you know, we always have to almost sort of go back to the beginning. It's education, education, education. Tell us a bit about what your focus is within Education Partnerships Group, what the mission is and what your vision is to address this this huge and urgent challenge. Thank you. Yes, we work with governments on education reform in low and middle income countries, the developing world. Our vision is, as I said to the the pitch event yesterday, is sort of both simple and ambitious. And we believe that every child should go to school and learn. The way we're supporting education is through large scale sort of programs of national reform through governments themselves. We sort of don't accept it's it's sufficient just to be impacting the outcomes in a couple of schools. Um, So we're actually partnering with governments to sort of change the conditions for all schools through policy reform. So we do this actually by embedding teams within ministries of education to work on the sort of the priorities of the government and to really help to analyse what the issues are that are holding back progress, either in access or quality of education or both, and then looking to bring to bear the evidence about what's going to work in that context. And then really, most importantly, seeing through a plan. It's one thing to have a great sort of solution in mind and even a great policy document or a piece of legislation, but often there's a huge gap between policy and practice in a lot of these countries. So we, we stick around long term with the ministries of education to do the planning and to make sure that, that that solution is really implemented nationally in those countries. Well, we'll come back to some of the more detail around the solutions and, and how you go about doing it, the importance of partnerships. But Tom, let me bring you in here. Remind us, our regular listeners to this show will, will know a little bit about the GVs and about what you do. But just remind us why it's so important for you and your colleagues to partner with the GVs and talk about, I don't know, why, why that is so important you know, for clients as well as for colleagues to see a successful GV programme within UBS. Yeah, I mean, and as I'm sure has been spoken about plenty of times, Tom, on on the Monocle podcast, UBS exists to reimagine the power of investing and and connect people for a better world. But the question we often ask after that is like, well, what do we mean by a better world, right? And, And many of our clients, for them, that means genuinely trying to address the pressing social and environmental issues that the world's facing, literally trying to build 
economies that are more inclusive, sustainable and impactful. And, you know, part of that is is trying to find solutions to those those issues that are scalable. And I've talked you know, at length about how we get there. And one of the clear ways we need to get there is we need to innovate. We need to find solutions and then we need to drive them to scale. And part of driving things to scale is either making them investable in, in a marketplace context or through partnerships with government. And the Global Visionaries is really our program that we've been running since 2016. We've now worked with over 70 Global Visionaries. Almost 100 employees have supported those Global Visionaries. And it's really just about connecting people, connecting those visionaries who have ideas with people who have the skill sets and the resources, both our employees and our clients, to help take those ideas and genuinely make them scalable. And our vision with the Global Visionaries program is to literally identify the impact unicorns of the next decade, the kind of social organisations, whether that's non-profit or for-profit, that can actually impact measurably a billion people's lives. A big vision, but we've already seen you know great traction through this program. We've got partners who have been you know, sequestering carbon and storing it deep within the ocean. We've got organizations using technology to, to literally educate thousands and scaling up over, over the next few years to, to millions of children, you know, rapidly. We've seen, you know, all sorts of different types of innovation that wouldn't have happened had we not brought this program together. In fact, yesterday we had a, a client share that he met one of our global visionaries. And as a, as a result of that connection, set up a whole fund to try and drive $200 million worth of capital into an ocean-based intervention that was you know, designed to, to, to kind of protect our oceans and um, create sustainable kind of increase in fish stock and such like. So, so the program has a huge amount of power and it's absolutely critical that we amplify that. And I think that's what the Pitch for Purpose event was all about. Well, yeah, and just on Pitch for Purpose specifically, really exciting. Obviously, Kate was successful and, and congrats to her once again. Tell us a bit, though. I know there was even an opportunity to help the GV participants to perfect their pitching skills. It, it sort of it, it touches all aspects of making a, a, getting us closer to successful outcomes. Yes, absolutely. We had the benefit of a coaching program, actually, for the Global Visionaries this year. We focused in on our pitching skills and, you know, pitching specifically to sort of a philanthropic audience. A lot of our funding at Education Partnerships Group comes from a mix of sort of aid donors as well as philanthropic foundations and individuals. So that was an incredibly valuable part of the program. And we only had three minutes to pitch our big vision for the, the, in my case, the change in education, which is not very long. So a certain skill set required there to make a successful pitch. And we had, yeah, the support of philanthropic advisors, you know, staff from UBS who volunteered to be the coaches, as well as um, our ongoing support from the, the UBS Optimus Foundation. So, And it was a really fantastic event, I have to say, as well. It was great to see a huge participation from UBS staff alongside all the people I just mentioned who helped us get there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a terrific initiative. And I'm interested, Tom, in the success you know, of Kate's programme, specifically this passion for education. And I mentioned right at the top, obviously, so many of the great challenges that everyone faces, wherever they might be in the world, start with reviewing how we educate everybody and ensuring that people are indeed the recipients of early years education in particular. But why, Tom, although it's a slight, maybe seems a, a somewhat facile question, what, why is it that clients and your colleagues as well, I guess, are so passionate specifically about education. It's clearly resonated, hasn't it, with, with the jury in this case, but more broadly. Well, I think if, if we're all honest and we reflect you know, on our own pathways in life, education is, 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 is the pathway and pipeline to employment, entrepreneurship and personal prosperity, which, to be honest, I expect most people aspire to and, and they deserve to aspire to that. I was really struck, actually, we had an event at the Vatican late last year where 
I had many people speaking, but but Jeff Bezos came and he shared the story about how his father had come to the States as an illiterate immigrant at 15. And if it hadn't been for the free education he received, as it happened at a a faith school, hence the Vatican link, Jeff wouldn't have been where he was today, right? So that, that generational impact of education created huge amounts of value for the economy. And if you then start to to look at that macroeconomically, there's 614 million people worldwide who can't do basic maths and are illiterate. So I look at that as a as a huge opportunity. There's a huge opportunity for society. We could create 380 million new jobs globally. Trillions of dollars added to the global economy if we can find pathways to actually ensure that people are learning right, as you say, Tom, from early years through to tertiary education. There's a clear pathway that can allow people to achieve their full potential. And I think, you know, many of the clients we work with, we did a survey late last year, 95% of our billionaire clients said that they feel like it's part of their responsibility to try and lead and drive solutions to, to the big pressing social and environmental problems, including the problem of, of education. I think many people recognise that they've got to where they've got to because of the education they received. And that's why we want to try and create a system that allows everybody to, to get the education they deserve. Uh, well, yeah, Kate, it, it's clear the, the potential of these schemes to tap into those pathways that Tom's mentioned. But can you maybe underscore, Kate, for us why partnerships are so fundamentally important? I mean, from your opening remarks, clearly a challenge of this magnitude requires collaboration, maybe even on an unprecedented scale, re-engaging with all the different stakeholders wherever they may be and however they shape the space. But tell us why partnerships, collaborations are so critical as you see it. Well, for starters, you know, the scale of the problem is vast. You know, there's currently around 250 million children out of school and in Africa, you know, nine out of 10 children can't read. So we, for starters, you know, we obviously need everybody involved and as many people as possible to solve a problem of such a large scale. And where the Education Partnerships Group, where we focus on is partnerships with governments, because it's actually the case in developing countries that around half of the financial resources for education actually come from governments. That's even higher for the rest of the world. And they're not always effective, right, in in developing developing countries because they either don't have the evidence about what works, they may not have the capacity to design and implement you know, practical, effective solutions across their whole systems. So we really focus on the government partnerships because they hold a lot of the resources. They, you know, they're the ones running the public schools, they're regulating the private schools. You know, they are really driving what is happening across the whole education system in every country. So those partnerships are critical if we really want to achieve you know, change at scale. And as I've, I've just said, you know, the scale is vast in terms of the change that's required. For our part, you know, we're a relatively small organisation. You know, I've got 26 staff in seven countries and we even through, you know, we're working in about five countries in the last couple of years. And we estimate that actually the programmes, even with such small teams, that we're, the programmes we've implemented with these governments will reach about five million children because we're working at that large scale, which is a great sort of effective and cost effective way of, of trying to implement change. But, but we ourselves, you know, we're not the experts at everything. Um, sometimes there's a very specific specific technical issue that emerges. There may be, you know, a data system that can expedite decision making or change. And so so we also work in all of our, our projects actually with others who have the expertise. And that kind of collaboration is really important. And and you know, we've got a number of global visionaries on the program this year who are also doing education work and there's opportunities, I think, for all of us to collaborate in the future as well. Well we're very fortunate we might hear from one or two more of them uh, in due course on this program. Tom, just on this point, Kate 
Kate mentioned developing economies, and obviously there are specific educational challenges in middle-income and low-income countries. Can you tell us a bit about the way that you and your colleagues in UBS engage? I know that you've been on some amazing client trips. You've got this Accelerate Collective. Can you talk about some of the actual sort of mechanics of how you impact on that space? Yeah, look, obviously, education, as we've already discussed, has been a theme for, for philanthropists and social investors for decades. And the typical model, and this isn't to be critical, but but it's just the reality is that people often go to some of these lower middle income countries and they set up a school, which is great for those hundred kids in the school, but usually not scalable or sustainable. And in fact, you know, donor money going into education systems in some of these low middle income countries has really not achieved what we wanted to achieve, which is a frustration for everyone. It's frustration for the donors, it's frustration for government. And as you mentioned, I was in Ghana a couple of weeks ago with 15 social investors who are part of our Accelerate Collective, which is all about how do I use philanthropic capital more catalytically? So not as a grant, but as, as sometimes as a debt instrument, lending maybe to a low-cost private school where families can pay for education on one or two dollars a day. So that's one potential model. Or it might be even an equity stake in a company like that. Or it might be through innovative instruments like outcomes contracts, where you're actually partnering directly with government, who's then paying for the result of an educated child. And what was interesting is uh, we were talking to one of the ministers of education in Ghana, and they were saying, look, we've had money from all sorts of different donors from the World Bank and you know, UK government, different governments, and individual foundation donors for 20 years. And learning has not improved. And what we've been measuring is teacher training, building schools, and printing textbooks. But in in many cases, the textbooks didn't even arrive at the schools. The teachers were were trained, but they didn't necessarily implement the training, or maybe they didn't understand it. And the schools look great, but children don't learn in buildings that look great. What you actually need to measure to know if, 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 if children are learning is, are they progressing? as they ought to based on you know a learning adjusted school year how much should a child learn in a given year and is that really happening and are we measuring it so that very very data driven approach is something that we like to bring to all of the initiatives that we recommend to our clients as part of the optimus foundation and through the global visionaries program but it's not just about outcomes and data because you can get great outcomes and data if you spend thousands of dollars per child right what you also need to do is do it at a price that is sustainable and affordable for that economy so in, in the context of ghana because that's where we were on the accelerate trip they have decided that they can afford and are spending 68 dollars per child per year which you know isn't a huge amount but that's their budget right And for that, you've got to try and work out how can you make sure that the children are learning and not just one child, but millions of children. And if you could achieve that over, you know, two, three, five, 10, 15 year period, then the opportunity is that you take 20% of the population and they're suddenly more numerate, more literate. You know, even if they go and do smallholder businesses and trading, they're going to be better at it because they'll just be even more wily entrepreneurs with their literacy skills or their numeracy skills, right? Or more likely, and hopefully, they'll also start doing white collar jobs. They'll be useful for global companies coming to, to work in that country. And ultimately, the impact of getting educational policy right is that GDP rises. And then as GDP rises, countries can afford to spend more money per capita on education. And that's when you can start to, you know, pay for more value in your education system. Or maybe you can start to target even more disadvantaged families because I think some of the really hard things in in development is just the scale of the inequality right and if you go into a community and people don't have shoes they don't have water they don't have food they don't have you know all of the things that a lot of us take for granted it can be very very tempting to try and provide all of those things at once because you just want to help those individuals but the reality is is that's really what donor money's been doing for decades it's been trying to help 
a very small group of people as much as you possibly can, rather than making the difficult choices of going, actually, what's going to really catalyze this economy to be able to be sustainable and support itself in perpetuity? And so giving, make, making a really practical example of that, and this was something that I think a lot of the social investors and philanthropists we took to Ghana recently you know, struggled with initially, was that you know, $68 a child essentially means you have to choose between learning and feeding, right? And we know that school school feeding programs means that children come to school. It's a way of encouraging people to come to school in the first place. But they cost $38 a year, right? So you're spending almost two thirds of your budget on feeding, then you've got kids who are full, but then you've only got $20 to spend on them learning. And actually, that's just not enough. You're not going to move the dial with educational outcomes, if that's how you decide to split your budget. So in some of these outcomes contracts that we've partnered with both the UK government and the, and the Ghanaian government, the Sierra Leonean government, many of the providers and the way these work is that, that UBS and our clients are bringing risk capital. So we're investing in the education provider. And those providers are saying, look, for $68, we, we think we can hit these learning objectives. We think we can make sure that the children learn on the pathway that they should to be able to ultimately fulfill their full potential. But we can't do that and feed them. So really, what does that mean? It means you're probably not targeting the very, very poorest in some of these programs. We're still talking about very disadvantaged people who are facing inequality, but you're having to make that call that you're going for the ones whose families maybe do have a bit of an income so they can send them to school with a meal. And that's a difficult decision, but it's the kind of the the necessary kind of decision that you, you make when you're constrained by a system that says, this is the budget we actually have. We're measuring that against the results we're going to deliver. And we've got risk investors who are expecting their capital to recycle. So I think that kind of business discipline that we're bringing to these kinds of models, really, I'm very, very optimistic. And we had several clients say to us, you know, I, I was so disillusioned by some of these issues. I really didn't believe that we can address problems at scale. I now see how these kinds of partnerships, where you've got private risk capital, you've got business, you've got great organizations who are capacity building government, and you've got government involved, all working together, centered around data, can actually drive scalable, sustainable pathways to change economies and systems and, and ultimately people's lives, which is what this is all about. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear more about the, the mechanics of how that actually works, Tom. So thanks for, for explaining that to us. Kate, on this point, if we're looking to drive exactly what Tom's been talking about, big systemic changes that are sustainable, that must be scalable, what more, well, what more does... EPG need, for example, to realise the bigger vision? You've talked about the millions that you've affected positively already, but the scale we know of the challenges is vast and continuing to grow. How do you ensure that you are moving the needle, as Tom says, but also ensuring sustainability and scalability to the solutions you're offering? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of ways that we're planning to, to grow and scale up our impact. It's picking up on, on programs like the outcomes-based program that Tom just mentioned, for example. So that's a great example of you know investments that are going to demonstrate approaches or innovation on, on how to actually make sure that you've got kids in a particular context at a larger scale getting into school and learning when they're there. But the key to the sort of scale of that impact is taking the evidence about what's worked in those examples that are funded through this outcomes-based approach to scale through the government system so that it then is informing you know how the government is training all of its teachers across the whole system you know whether it, it includes a school feeding element or not and that the government actually needs a lot of support to really consider all of that evidence that's coming in and to make decisions about the kind of trade-offs that Tom outlined that exist when you have limited resources to educate a vast number of children in any you know given country so there's a lot of support and advice and facilitation actually that's needed in a lot of ministries of education who who don't have any experience actually with sort of results-based 
financing um, matters and sometimes the ministries of finance don't either. So there's a lot of assistance and facilitation that can be provided to these governments to consider their options. And one of the, the key things about EPG's approach is that we sort of pride ourselves on being sort of system-wide thinkers and not just coming to a, a government who might have a particular challenge like a curriculum reform or a teacher training reform, but to help them to step back and think about how they're actually going to uh, consider this reform in the context of their wider system and, and all of the trade-offs that, that have to have to be made and, and how to prioritise given the resources that they have. What we need really to scale up is both kind of governments who are open-minded to what the evidence tells them about what works and are willing to actually prioritise and make these kind of trade-offs because it's very easy to commit to you know a big ambitious vision but it's not always able to be delivered in practice given resource constraints. So, And we have no shortage actually of governments who understand the need to reform education, give more access to all children, girls, children with disabilities in particular and that they're learning when they're, in, when they're actually in school which is too, too often not the case presently. And we have a lot of requests, actually, from governments all the time who who want a partner like EPG, who is sort of working within their country. All of my staff in our programs are actually from the countries that we're working in, uh, who understand that context, that understand that reform is political in nature as well. And they've got to be able to understand, you know, where the key timeframes are going to be in the political cycle where you could really get things done and really focus on seizing those windows of opportunity uh, while bringing to bear the sort of technical support and evidence internationally and locally that's going to help a government to make decisions and make efficient use of their limited resources. And we need, you know, more supporters like the UBS Optimist Foundation and others uh, within the UBS uh, network to support us financially, either by backing, you know, our work to go and reach more governments and understand their needs so that we have a clear proposition about how we can support them to implement change longer term or to back particular programs in countries that are of interest or to back sort of particular topics. I know that early years learning is of a lot of interest to people, uh, scaling up um, digital education in a way that's contextually relevant, you know, that can can be sustainable given the resource constraints, access to infrastructure, etc. that you need to have in place to make those things effective. You know, there are things like that that we are keen to sort of scale up those solutions that work. And so we're open to, to partnerships with, with a range of different approaches. But the key thing for us is that what we do is really partner with governments um, so that we're working across the whole system, not just in a subsector of it, because we really want to achieve change at scale. And I think that that holistic approach to this this problem is something that's kind of echoed throughout the remarks that you, you've both made. Perhaps just on a final note, and you've touched upon it already there, Kate, something of a call to action. Tom will recall from our previous exchanges, we always like to try and sort of end with a bit of a, I don't know, maybe it's to ask our listeners to reflect in a different way or ask themselves a tough question. I'm absolutely sure that from hearing both your remarks, we'll have listeners who will want to maybe very actively get involved and very quickly. What should they do? Tom, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you first of all. Is it about, we've been talking about education, is it about listeners educating themselves better? What would you say the key sort of call to action would be as you see it? A hundred percent. I think I think there's almost a, you know, a, a duty really of care to the people we're trying to support when we want to solve some of these issues like the global education crisis, to not try and do it on your own to look to partner with people. And quite frankly, we will just not be successful unless we radically reimagine how we start to partner. And these things are deeply complicated. And you're not going to see the kind of scale and the results that we need to see and also then realise the opportunities that I described in terms of you know, the impact to people's lives, but also to the global economy. And let, let's face it, we could all do some additional growth around the world at the moment unless we, we create these kinds of partnerships whereby you know, capital is being invested in the right things 
in the right way, in partnership then with with governments and civil societies for whom it's, you know, their absolute goal to, to make sure it's all working and is driving is driving the impact that they want to see as well. So that's where I think, you know, coming together in things like collective philanthropy, really learning and understanding before doing is actually critical. And I'd really encourage people to do that. And, and we've seen now with the 60, 70 clients that have gone through that process that they're genuinely saying this is like building communities of people who can then help communities of of other people in, around the world. And, it, and it's a really powerful experience as well. Uh, well, perhaps last word, Kate, to you, the, the winning purposeful picture in this, in this programme. Uh, what, what's your, your call to action? You're obviously very effective, at very concisely uh, inspiring people with your, with your words. What would you say to our listeners? I would say think big. There is a huge scale problem and you actually can achieve big change at scale. And consider that it is possible to make change happen also through governments, even in contexts like across sub-Saharan Africa, and that's what we're doing every day. There's a lot of due diligence that goes into how you engage with governments, of course, but it can be done, and we are doing it in a number of countries, and you can work with partners like EPG as a kind of assurance mechanism, and the purpose of all of that is to really accept that a lot of the, the majority, actually, of resources for education sit within governments, and they're not always deployed effectively, and that is a huge sort of waste of resources and you can work with partners like EBG to really make those resources more effective and really help affect big change in education at scale. Kate Dooley and before that Tom Hall bringing us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle Radio. For more about all the Global Visionaries in the UBS program just go to ubs.com and search Global Visionaries. That's where you can also find out how UBS can help you. In the meantime, you can listen again to this and every episode, including our archive of other brilliant visionaries at monocle.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.